Hey everyone, welcome back to Tear and Apologetics. I'm super excited you join us today. Today is part two of my cumulative case for Christian theism. We're looking at part two, which is called Necessary. We're going to build a case for the foundation of the universe. All right, so just to introduce this section, section one, I talked about the importance of truth. Um, this is a whole long play, so if you're new to this series, I encourage you to go back and check out the first part of it before you get into the second part of it, but here's what we're going to do today. So we're going to talk about questions like, why is there something rather than nothing? What is responsible for dependent beings like you and me? I'm going to say my answer is a foundation. This is something that depends on nothing else for its existence. So an important distinction here to bring up first is the difference between contingent facts and necessary facts. So something is contingent if it could have been otherwise. So for example, my existence is dependent on my parents. It's possible that my parents could have never met um, or something else along those lines. So my existence is contingent. I could have failed to exist. However, there are also necessary facts, which are things that couldn't have been otherwise. So you could look at things like the laws of logic, or for example, that seven is a prime number. It's true in all possible worlds that these things exist. Um, there's no way that they could have failed to exist. That's something that's necessary. And when we're looking at the foundation, I'm going to argue the foundation is necessary. Section three. So here's an important argument that I'm going to bring for necessary foundation. So Arguments from contingency, just to generalize, go from the existence of contingent things, so things that could have been otherwise, to the existence of something necessary. They can allow for things like an infinite past, unlike typical Kalam arguments, we're going to argue that like maybe like an infinite past series of events is impossible. Um, the argument that I'm first going to present here is totally cool with an infinite past. Also, I only focus on stage one here. Stage one tries to identify some sort of like necessary thing or stuff. And stage two is going to point towards God. So you could be an atheist or agnostic um, or whoever and totally agree with everything I'm going to say here in section one. Um, we can both agree that there's a foundation. We can just, we can just disagree if it, on if it's conscience or material or something else along these lines. This idea is also compatible with there being some sort of like brute fact something that exists without some sort of explanation. And the argument that I'm using today comes from Alex Proust. So long story short, what I'm trying to argue today is that there's something that just has always existed, some sort of like foundation from which everything else comes from. And that's kind of like the main idea of what I'm trying to do today. All right, so in section four, let's just defend this argument. So this argument comes from Alexander Proust in the Blackwell Companion to Natural Theology. So first, every contingent fact has an explanation. There is a contingent fact that includes all other contingent facts. Therefore, there's an explanation of this fact. Uh, then this explanation must involve a necessary being. And finally, this necessary being is God. So this is from Alexander Proust, again, in the Blackwell Companion to Natural Theology, where we're going for the existence of continued facts to some sort of like necessary foundation. All right, so what we're going to do is defend each premise. So premise one is every contingent fact has an explanation. This is known as the principle of sufficient reason. So what we're trying to say here is that anything that exists that could have been failed to exist, say like my existence, um, has some sort of explanation. Like I'm the product of my parents. That's an explanation for my own existence. So three reasons to accept it. First, um, it's intuitively obvious that every contingent fact has an explanation. In our everyday experience, things have explanations for their existence. There's a natural intuition here. When your car breaks down, it's not like we're going to say, oh, it's for no reason at all. Like we Surely there's a reason for why your car just broke down. Um, you can point to like something like the motor or transmission or I don't really know car stuff. So this is a bad analogy. But like we, in our experience, we, we search for explanations when there's things. Um, reason two is it's the foundation of modern science. Like we all agree that humans exist for some reason at all. No one says that they just exist for no reason at all. Like imagine like if you're in a debate in like evolutionary biology and some evolutionary biologist comes around and says, you know, like humans have just always existed like eternally. Like there's no reason for it. It's just happened. 
like all the scientists would be like, wait, what's going on here, bro? Like, it's just such a foundational part of science that things have explanations for their um, existence. We look for explanations as deep as we can. And it seems like to me, like the whole project of science is looking for these explanations um, because we have a deep seated intuition and in something like the principle of sufficient reason where contingent facts have explanations. Reason three is there's no known violations of the principle of sufficient reason. Everything that we have encountered has some sort of explanation for its existence, even if it's an indeterministic explanation. Um, indeterminate, indeterministic explanations are still things that require an explanation. So, yeah. All right, premise two. There's a contingent fact that contains all other contingent facts. This is known as the big conjunctive contingent fact. So, for example, there's a fact that we're going to call fact A, that I'm typing on a computer in a library at this exact moment. Within fact A, we can identify multiple things that are also contingent. The computer, the library, and I are all contingent facts with outside explanations for our existence. I may have chosen to not write this book at this moment or this slideshow, or I may have chosen to write it in my room instead, or I may have chosen to use paper instead of a computer. There are facts within fact A that are contingent parts of a larger contingent fact. So what we're trying to do is say like, hey, we can have like some general fact like me typing um, on a, in a library on a computer and like look at all the pieces of that fact and see a bunch of other contingent things within that whole contingent thing of me typing in a computer. So similarly, I think we can form a contingent fact that contains all other contingent facts in the world. What we can do is put together everything in existence that is contingent. This contingent fact will contain everything that could have been otherwise. Plants, energy, cats, trees, and planes. Anything that's contingent would be part of the BCCCF. Think about it like a big party full of everything that's contingent. Think of this as like a big party and it's a sum of reality that could have been different. There's nothing outside of the BCCF that could have been different than the way it is as we're putting together all contingent things. So the collection of all contingent things would then be contingent as all contingent things cry out for a further explanation. So we put together this big party of everything that's contingent and remember, contingent things depend on some sort of further explanation for its existence. So we have to ask then, like, hey, we have this big party of contingent things. Like, what explains all the contingent things here? Surely it's got to be something further. And this dives right into premise three, where this is where it takes us. So, therefore, there'd be an explanation of this fact. This follows since the, if there is a BCCF, which is all the contingent facts put together, it would have to have an explanation since all contingent facts have an explanation for their existence. So the sum of everything that's contingent would have to have some sort of further explanation for its existence. And this leads to premise four, that this must involve a necessary being, according to Bruce. So in this context, please remember that being does not mean something that has personhood necessarily, but rather in this context, it could be a rock, God, matter, energy, or any sort of concrete object. When looking at contingent facts, we are looking at things that could have failed to exist. However, necessary things cannot fail to exist. A necessary foundation or a necessary being would explain everything that could have been different as it would be something that could not have been different. It's an uncaused first cause. The foundation would not depend on any sort of explanation outside of its existence. It is necessary. So when we're looking at the foundation, we're looking at something that doesn't depend on anything else. It's totally, um, you could say maybe like independent as it doesn't depend on anything else, but rather just creates dependent things. So the contingency argument is going to focus on the nature of things that could have failed to exist. And short, contingent things depend on further explanations. If everything that existed was contingent, there'd be no explanation for why there was anything rather than nothing. However, if there is a foundation, this could explain why these facts exist. So I think this is a super cool way to explore why there is something rather than nothing. We look at the general nature of things that contingent things have an explanation, and we have to ask, like, what explains all these contingent things that could have failed to exist? 
And the only other option is something that is necessary, something that couldn't have failed to exist, is this would be a good explanation for something that's responsible for all contingent things. Okay, so there's an objection here. What if the universe is infinite or the past is infinite? If we think of the universe as a causal chain in which each event is caused by a prior event, which is caused by another prior event going infinitely back into the past, why would there need to be something necessary? Couldn't every contingent fact be explained by another contingent fact preceding it? So here's what I wonder about this. If everything that exists is contingent, there'd still be no explanation for why there is anything at all. So to illustrate, what if I told you that the Earth's existence was explained by a turtle that was holding up the Earth? The natural question would then be, like, why is a turtle holding up the Earth? Um, I then explain that another turtle is holding up the first one that is holding up the Earth. Then a third turtle is holding up the second turtle, a fourth holding up the third, a fifth holding on the fourth, six, five, seven, six, and so on and so on and so on. There's just an infinite chain of turtles going back infinitely back into the past with each turtle holding up another, which explains why the Earth is existing right now. Just as turtles all the way down. So in this scenario that I brought up of turtles um, holding everything in existence, there's still no explanation for why there's something rather than nothing at all. We could ask, like, why is there this infinite chain of turtles? Um, so similarly, like, an infinite past of contingent facts doesn't explain why there's something rather than nothing. Like, say they, like, our universe was caused by another one and they have some infinite regress. We can still just ask, like, why is there this giant infinite regress here in the first place? So the best move for the proponent of an infinite regress is just to say that the whole chain is going to exist necessarily. You could say... Sure, well, the explanation is just everything is necessary. It just all had to exist. And for the sake of, like, remember, part one of the contingency argument, like, in part two, I'm just going to be like, cool. Like, we agree on stage one. There's something necessary, and then we should just go to stage two where we're going to compare theories and see, like, what's best, like an infinite chain theory or, like, my God theory. So long story short, like, as long as we both agree there's something necessary, then, like, we're on the same page, at least for part two. An infinite regress is consistent with the idea of a necessary foundation. Okay, so here's a different way of thinking about it, going back to more like the Kalam style. So here's a twist on the Kalam. I'm sure if you're listening to this, you know the Kalam. Uh, whatever begins to exist has an explanation of its existence. The universe began to exist. Therefore, the universe has an explanation of its existence. Now, I'm going to add something that is borrowed from Proust, where you can say then there is not an infinite regress of causes. If there is no infinite regress, then there is a necessary fact. There must be a necessary fact. So what it's trying to do is like um, build on to premise two, where we say the universe began to exist and try to block the idea that maybe it's just like an infinite chain going backwards. I already said that like, hey, maybe like there's still no explanation for something rather than why there's something rather than nothing. If you're going to say the whole infinite past is contingent. Um, but if you say it's all necessary, then we can compare theories from there. But I just want to like go after this infinite regress idea a bit more because I think that there's some more good reasons to think that there is no infinite regress. Okay, so just to re reiterate, premise one of this like Kalam style argument, whatever begins to exist has an explanation of its existence. Again, this is just the PSR. We're doing this, um, we're looking at like our intuition, continuous confirmation, and the scientific utility of a principle of sufficient reason as good reasons to think that whatever begins to exist has an explanation of its existence. Premise two and three, the universe began to exist. So I'm weary of when people use science to say that there's like this proves the universe began to exist and something came from nothing, da, 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 da. Um, but I think that like science really suggests it. And from my layman's perspective, of course I could be wrong, but like it, when you just read, when I read science, it just seems like the universe began to exist intuitively. Obviously it could be wrong, but it's just the way it looks. So like 
Paul Davies, I believe his name is, way back when, said, if we extrapolate this prediction to its extreme, we reach a point when all distances in the universe have shrunk to zero. An initial cosmological singularity therefore forms a temporal extremity of the universe. We not, cannot continue physical reasoning or even the concept of space-time through such an extremity. For this reason, most cosmologists think of the initial singularity as the beginning of the universe. On this view, the Big Bang represents the creation event, the creation of, of not only all the matter and energy in the universe, but also of space-time itself. Again, I'm not saying this proves the universe began to exist, but just like if the universe is past finite, I think we'd expect to read quotes like this. Rather, if it's past infinite, it seems super unlikely we'd have something like an initial cosmological singularity. Also, the Borgu-Klinken theorem says the universe that has been on average expanding through its history must be finite in its past. Since our universe has been on average expanding, as it at least seems to be, this would provide weight to a finite universe. I don't think these are conclusive proofs. Rather, they just make the beginning of the universe more likely to be true. Things like this, like the BGV theorem or the singularity, would be more expected on the idea that the universe began to exist than the idea that the universe did not begin to exist, because these things at least seem to suggest a finite universe. So if the universe began to exist, the universe would have to have an explanation of its existence, since everything that begins to exist has an explanation. Then, first off, let's just look at the idea that like there is not an infinite regress of causes. So I'm talking about the Grim Reaper paradox. I don't think these paradoxes decisively like prove the past is again um, finite and not infinite. I just think they really show that like an infinite past is just really weird, um, and it's going to count against the view. Doesn't prove it, but it just it goes against a lot of our like fundamental intuitions. So Craig summarizes it, this paradox as this. We are invited to imagine there are numerally infinitely many Grim Reapers who we may identify as gods as to forestall any physicalistic objections. You are alive at midnight. Grim Reaper 1 will strike you dead at 1 a.m. if you are still alive at that time. Grim Reaper 2 will strike you dead at 12.30 a.m. if you are still alive then. Grim Reaper 3 will strike you dead at 12.15 a.m. and so on. Such a situation seems clearly conceivable given the possibility of an actually infinite number of things, but leads to an impossibility. You cannot survive past midnight and you cannot be killed by any Reaper Grim Reaper at any time. Furthermore, Craig explains that for those who don't get it, the point is that before any Grim Reaper can cut you down, you will be already dead since prior to any Grim Reaper's action, there is an actually infinite number of early Grim Reapers, each ready to kill you. So an infinite regress can lead to a contradiction as you're both alive and dead according to the paradox, which is similar to the past infinite view. Now, it's the burden of the person bringing forward the paradox. So like, if you want to say like this decisively proves that like the universe is, is finite to show how like this would actually line up and like be like, analogous to like a past infinite universe with like an infinite regress um i like just looking at the paradoxes like this and show hey it's just really weird like an, an infinity like going into the past is just super weird um and super like unintuitive which is going to count against an infinite regress so i also think that like one last thing to believe here is that like a finite past is just a simpler view of things um this view is called causal finitism and it can explain how we got today by pointing to a finite number of events rather than the infinite number of past events so again, I think like we can just appeal to less to explain everything, um, which is going to provide some sort of advantage towards the idea of the universe being like past finite. Okay, if there is no infinite regress, then there is a necessary fact. So if there is cannot be enough, uh, if there cannot be an infinite amount of past events, then there must be a necessary first cause, which is the beginning of the causal chain we are now a part of. This is because if there is no infinite chain of events, there would must be a first event that was not caused by something else to exist. This first event would be the foundation of everything else. The necessary event would not depend on anything for its existence. We could ask like then from here, what would an uncaused cause be like? But remember here, so if there is no infinite regress, there's got to be some sort of like first cause, first event. Um, and that is what's going to be our necessary fact. So that's that. So 
we've now reached that there is a necessary fact. Again, nothing I said here I think conclusively like proves and makes it irrational believe um, the past is infinite or like there is no necessary foundation. But I think when we look at like the nature of like the weirdness of an infinite past and then like strong contingency argument showing that there has to be a foundation, I think you have really good reason to think there's got to be something necessary. We've now reached the end of this chapter. Um, we've established that there must be a necessary foundation that explains contingent reality. This foundation would be necessary and not depend on any sort of explanation outside of itself for its existence. Establish that there is a necessary foundation. We've argued one through contingency and two through causal finitism. Now, what is this necessary foundation? Couldn't it just be the cosmos? Is it God? Is it energy? Is it something else? This is the next topic that we're going to explore as we start to look through the nature of design. So this is part two of my cumulative case for Christianity. I really appreciate you tuning in here. Full playlist is down below. So hopefully if you're listening to this a lot longer down in the future, um, part three will be out already in four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10, 11, 12. Um, maybe it just ends at 10. I think it's going to end at 10. Um, part three will be out in November. I'm trying to do like one a month. And that's that. Here's some of my references. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you value what we do, uh, be sure to subscribe, leave a like, all that fun stuff. Um, you can check out the YouTube playlist as well below as we can look at through this cumulative case. And that's it. If you really value what we do, um, please consider becoming a patron at patreon.com slash adherentapologetics. Your support would be huge. But that's it. God bless, and we'll see you for part three.